So happy Easter. You all look great. Even outside, even bundled up, you look great. You clean up nice, which is good to know you can still clean up nice, right? When you don't only have to show this much of yourself on a screen, you can still look good. And it's good, too, to just share space, isn't it? To not be with each other on a little screen, but to actually be with one another and look each other in physical eyes. It's good to be here. And it's Easter. And I feel a little bit like the cat's out of the bag on that one because while we haven't heard any of the rest of the story, I think you've sort of pieced together what happened since Friday night. When we were last together, Jesus was betrayed by one of his own disciples, arrested in the garden, denied by one of his closest disciples, Peter, unjustly condemned to death, tortured, executed on a cross, and laid in a grave. We watched him breathe his last. We watched him laid down. The women saw where the tomb was and then left to prepare spices to properly prepare his body for burial, resting over Saturday, the Sabbath day. And that's where that story ended. Before we pick up and see where it goes now, let's make sure to pray. Because we believe that this is God's word and we believe that God still speaks to us through it. So let's pray for God to open then our ears, our minds, and our hearts, and for God to speak this morning. So let's pray. Lord, it's in your light that we see light. It's in your truth that we find freedom. And in your way that we find peace. So come, Lord Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. Do whatever you need to do to listen well to these words from the book we love. But, very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, the women went to the tomb, bringing the fragrant spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus. And they didn't know what to make of this. But suddenly, there were two men standing beside them in gleaming bright clothing. And the women were frightened and bowed their faces down to the ground. But the men said to them, Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He isn't here. He's been raised. Remember what he said to you when he was still in Galilee. The human one must be handed over to sinners, be crucified, and on the third day, rise again. Then they remembered his words. And when they returned from the tomb, they reported all these things to the eleven and the others. It was Mary Magdalene. Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and those who were with them that reported this to the apostles. And their words struck the apostles as nonsense. <laughs> and they didn't believe what the women said. But Peter ran to the tomb, and when he looked into it, he saw only the linen cloth. 
and he returned home, wondering what had happened. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. As we get into the story this morning, it seems like there are two things that we need to deal with. Two things we need to deal with before we can come here to Christ's table. And here's the first one. Luke's strange story. It was a little weird for Easter morning, wasn't it? Were you surprised by anything that you heard in there? Was it what you expected? Not really, even though we do this year after year. In our heads, we tell the story something like, an awful tragedy happened on Friday, but don't worry because on Sunday, magically, everything was put back together and everyone lived happily ever after. But that's not really the story Luke gives us, is it? The story Luke gives us is one of confusion and doubt. Nobody's even seen Jesus yet, but these leaders that Jesus has spent three years preparing have no idea what's going on. They don't believe each other, and no one can make sense of what they see right in front of them. It's an odd story, and I love it. I love the story that Luke offers to us because it's so strange, because it seems to me to be so human so honest. It strikes me as real. Because if you were going to make up this story, this is not the way you would tell it. This is not how you would write it up if you were going to make up a story to trick a bunch of people into your new religion. You wouldn't have four different versions of the story that don't really mesh up, which is what we have in the Gospels. Four different versions of this account that all have different details that don't really seem to mesh very well. There's no way you'd keep all those if you fabricated this. You'd also probably include a description of the actual resurrection, which none of them do. We have no idea how it happened or what happened with Jesus in that tomb when he was there and resurrected. We hear nothing about it. You also probably wouldn't paint all of your main characters as so confused and surprised. Even Peter, the rock, Jesus says, upon whom the church will be built, sees the empty tomb and just wonders, what could have happened? I'll tell you what else you wouldn't have done. You wouldn't have made the primary witnesses of the empty tomb women. No offense to you all, but in the day, your testimony wasn't valid in court. So why make you the witnesses when you can't actually testify to it? And here's maybe the biggest thing. If you were going to write this story, you'd probably include Jesus, wouldn't you? You'd probably put him there, not just an empty grave and some strange, shiny men. Jesus would be there, hands on his hips, the sun catching his chin just right, standing with his cape blowing in the wind. Maybe not that one. But we don't have any of that because this isn't a story fabricated to found a new religion. It is a very human account of something that actually happened. Jesus' followers were met that Sunday morning with the cold, bare, confusing fact of an empty tomb. And they passed along to us the raw account of their encounter without trying to straighten it all out, without airbrushing over the unflattering details and making themselves look better. And so we have this strange story where even Jesus' closest friends and disciples don't get what's going on 
And as we read it, we're frustrated by their confusion. Or maybe we sit back and laugh. (laughs) They still don't get it, right? Those stupid disciples. But the remarkable thing really isn't that they don't get it. It's that any of us do. Because we're talking about resurrection here, people. This doesn't happen. We're in a cemetery, right? Do you think if someone told us, by the way, that empty grave over there that's opened up, that's because someone crawled out of it last night. Do you think you'd believe them? Do you? No. It's resurrection. Dead people stay dead. That's not how it works. These women weren't confused because they're just bad disciples or too slow to understand Jesus. The men don't doubt the women because they're women and can't be trusted. It's because the claim is that Jesus rose from the dead. And that's ridiculous. It sounded to them as nonsense because it is, right? That fact has gotten far too domesticated. We've grown used to the idea somehow and covered over its absurdity with bunnies and eggs and cute new outfits, which look great, by the way. (laughs) One of the things I love that Luke does is make this strange again, make it difficult and confusing again, because who would and who could believe in resurrection? Let's not jump past how outrageous that claim is, because however outrageous it is, we still have to deal with it. We have to account for the empty grave somehow. Just because it's ridiculous doesn't mean we can wipe our hands and just move on. Because though it is ridiculous, the witness of the scriptures, the gospels, is overwhelming. The body was gone. These stories circulated early enough And the witnesses in them were named such that you could have gone and checked. And if the grave wasn't empty, the whole story would have just fallen apart. Most serious historians, even non-Christian ones, believe the tomb was empty. They believe the disciples of Jesus encountered something. It's the only thing that explains their actions. The grave was empty. The question is how? Peter wondered what had happened. The women struggled to make sense out of this. What are we going to do with it? We'll talk more next week about how these disciples, these first witnesses, end up believing in Jesus' resurrection, about how they move from here to there, from confusion to belief. But for now, it seems really important that this story doesn't resound like the hallelujah chorus early on that Sunday morning, triumphant and victorious, the heroes not standing there before riding off into the sunset. What we get is honest and human. We get confusion and doubt and the absurd claim that the grave is empty. So let's make Easter strange again, huh? Let's get real and honest about the idea that the grave was empty and how ridiculous that idea actually is. Because if we can, then maybe we can make space too for some of our other confusion and wondering and doubt and make space to seek Jesus 
and to make sense of it all. And maybe if we can see how crazy this central tenet of our faith is, then we, when we stand to proclaim it, we'll also see that it changes everything in the world and everything in us. And there's a second thing we need to deal with this morning. The first is how strange Luke's story is, but the second is that if this is true, then everything is different now. Everything has changed. We get a hint that that's so in the first word of Luke chapter 24, our reading for this morning. If you have your Bible still open or up on your phone, look at it with me. Too many English translations actually ditch the first word in Greek, so I'm interested what yours would say. The first word here is actually, but. But. One of those subtle literary clues that the direction we've been going has just changed. We've been going pretty clearly in one direction. Jesus was betrayed by one of his own disciples, arrested, denied by another, unjustly sentenced to death, tortured, beaten, crucified, and on Friday, died and laid in a tomb. The story's been progressing pretty clearly along one trajectory. And it's not just his story. It's all of history. We're all headed in that same direction, death. The world is full of suffering and tragedy and injustice, and despite our best efforts, everything tends toward entropy, chaos. Our relationships fall apart. Our bodies age and decline. Accidents hurt and maim and kill. Pandemics rage. Politics and difference divide us. Greed and jealousy poison. We know the story because it's the territory in which we live our lives. It's death. But. But. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, something happened. Before the women even arrived. But. Christ is risen. Death was defeated. A whole new creation had begun. A whole world had opened up within this old one. God's world of abundant and resurrection life. Something happened that morning. Something that changed the world forever because Jesus, who was dead, came back to life and in so doing broke death's hold on the world. In the book of Revelation, Jesus is described as the one who holds the keys to death and the grave. He's opened their doors and death no longer rules over us or our lives. So why do we keep looking for the living among the dead? Why do we keep looking back and looking down, continuing to act as though the suffering and evil and death that are around us all over in the world are, in fact, what is most true and all there is. We make all our anxious plans. We interact with friends and family and neighbors. We work and save and play and vote as though this is all there is, as though we live for a little while and die, so we best get what we can and enjoy it while it lasts. 
Why do we keep looking for the living among the dead? The angel's question that morning is an invitation into this new paradigm, an invitation into the resurrection life and power of Jesus. It's an invitation into a whole new world to step out of this world ruled and defined by death because as long as you keep your eyes fixed on such things, on the ground and in the grave, death is all you will find. We will only ever find death if we keep looking among the dead. But what we receive this morning in this Easter story is the invitation to lift our eyes and look not among the dead, but to gaze upon the living one and to have our imagination and our lives and our world transformed from death into life. And that's what those first Christians understood was happening when Jesus rose from the dead. Because very quickly, they'll meet the risen Jesus. Their lives will be transformed and they'll go out to share this good news to the ends of the earth. And they will take on death themselves to proclaim this message to others. And they do so because they realize that what's happened in Jesus is not just a neat, tidy, and happy ending to an otherwise tragic story. It's not just a promise of resurrection that will come at the end of time, but that what's happened in Jesus' resurrection is that death has been defeated and that resurrection life and power are now ruling in our lives and in the world and that we who are in Christ have already died and been resurrected in him so that we can say with Paul in the present tense, where, O death, is your sting? Where, O death, is your victory? Death no longer has the last word. Death is no longer the ruling paradigm of our lives. We've been invited in Jesus' resurrection to lift our eyes above it and to see the living one, to see all that has been transformed, all that's been made new, and to reorient our lives now around this new paradigm of resurrection. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He's been raised. He is not in the things of death. So lift your eyes above them and fix your eyes on Christ. Fix your eyes on the things that are above where Christ is, as Paul says in Colossians 3. Don't continue to let fear and death and sin rule in your life, but enter into this new resurrection life and power. Friends, you will only ever find death if you're looking among the dead. So if you want to find life, true, real, abundant life, then come to the living one, to the one who rose and conquered death, to the one seated at the right hand of God, to the one who comes to us here at his table to give us himself in this bread and in this cup that we may have life and have it abundantly. Amen? Amen. Amen. Friends, let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for the victory that you have won on this day, for the power of your resurrection from the dead, that you have burst its bonds and opened its doors wide, 
that in you we have also died and been raised to new life. So Lord, fix our eyes on you. May we turn from the things of death and experience your life abundant and everlasting. May we come to you today, O Lord Jesus Christ, as we come to this table. May we taste and see you anew and afresh that we may go out from this place beaming with the light of your resurrection glory. It's in your name, O Christ, that we pray. Amen.